Welcome to Real Talk Universe, eco-feminist, vegan, spiritual commentary. Hello, Cherise. Hola. Ooh, she's giving me a little Spanish flair today. I'm feeling a little feisty. Are you? <laughs> well, I love talking about love and how we fuck it up. So <laughs> it's like my favorite topic. <laughs> Those trailer park values you have going on. I really do. I really do have trailer park values. <laughs> it's going to be the name of my pilot that I film. <laughs> well, you're not alone in that because talking about love is something that I like because I told a group of people today at work that besides Halloween, Valentine's Day is my favorite holiday. Which I just never, I mean, I get it, but how funny, like I just never knew it. Well, and it's not because I'm going to celebrate it in the way that everybody else does. Right. But for me, the the double-sided coin of Halloween and Valentine's Day is very, like, Lana Del Rey, old money. Mmm. You know? Oh, I know. Like, I know I don't have to tell you. <laughs> you may have to describe that emotion to our listeners, but I know old money. Well, let's say, <laughs> all right, so old money is this crushing song from Ultraviolence, basically talking about the... The ways that we still feel tethered to people mm-hmm. even after the time is done. And all the symbols that connect us to that throughout our days as we just walk through the streets and we see all these things that remind us of the people that we are tethered to. Exactly. And the image I'll always have of myself listening to that song is driving down Highway A1A mm. in South Florida when it's like 9 p.m. Yes. And the coast is right there and I can hear the waves. Ugh. Oh my gosh. I actually just got chills. I'm panicking just thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, I know. My heart rate just sped up. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, and I think the part that intrigued me so much about that time is it felt so dark, but I was filled with so much love. Mm. Which could be a Lana Del Rey lyric and it's That's beautiful. I'm gonna write right. that down. <laughs> That's gonna be episode two. <laughs> Of Trailer Park Values? <laughs> yes. I love it. Well, and I think the reason why you and I like talking about it, and a lot of people also like talking about the idea of love, even though it's brought so many of us pain. Well, that's kind of why we like talking about it. Right. We love talking about pain. Right. In a way that sometimes we can go off the deep end and glorify it. Right. But I think today what I'm curious for us to talk about is what role love plays in the context of people our age with millennials Mm. in the ways in which love shows up in our relationships. And then also when we start demonizing our exes, as you and I love to do. Oh, honey, I was just doing that (laughs) about 10 minutes ago. Before before, before before we we pressed play. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was just doing that. Poor things. uh, Poor things. (laughs) Well... They can figure it out when they play when they play this podcast, <laughs> as so many of them do. I know. Um, but the idea of how we can start taking ownership of what we bring to our romantic relationships, mm-hmm. which is something that is very uncomfortable and inconvenient for us to do. We don't like doing that. We don't. No. Just because the ownership piece of actually not playing victim and actually saying, oh, I had a role in the destruction of this relationship or whatever happened or the destruction of this moment between us or whatever it is. Um, It's hard to admit that you're wrong and it's hard to admit that you're flawed. It is. And I read this wonderful book recommended to me by, I I think this person is real. I'm not going to put them in. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This is news to me. Well, I know that you and I love 
really believing that sometimes when strangers give us guidance, that sometimes they're an angel oh, and not yeah. a human being. Oh, yeah. But I think this person is real. <laughs> so <laughs> Okay, now I understand. So they're an angel. So an angel. So at the place that I work, Florida State, I facilitate our campus labyrinth, which has recently been built. And every Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m., I go and hang out at the labyrinth. So if anybody doesn't know how to use it or they want to know more about it, I can teach them how to use it, and then I usually just end up having really great conversations. Well, this one individual I saw there whenever I got there and he was using it, and mm. I'm going to be honest, I stereotyped him as like this frat bro. Okay. Because he was in the sweatpants, he was in a sweatshirt, and I saw him walking the labyrinth with music in his ears, and I was like, I don't know if he knows what he's doing. Right. Well, that's also a very Florida State vibe. It you is. You can easily get the frat bro wandering around the labyrinth. Exactly. And he gets to the middle of the labyrinth and he sits down in this perfect lotus position and closes his eyes and starts meditating. And he's there for like 10 minutes. And whenever he walks out of the labyrinth, we both kind of look at each other. And I was like, so who are you? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And he actually says, he was like, you know what? I don't even go to Florida State. He's like, I go to TCC, but I live a few blocks away, and I love taking long walks. And so I found the labyrinth, ended up walking it, researched what it was, and now I use it all the time. Because he had a catalyst moment, because he and his girlfriend broke up in December, Mm. and she was into spirituality, and he said he was way too influenced by all of his frat bros who were his roommates. He was very self-aware to say, I really need to be accepted by these guys, and in the process... I didn't even realize that I wasn't being myself at all. And in fact, I didn't even know who I was. Oh, shit. And then he pulls out a crystal from his pocket. Oh, my God. Tell me it was a tiger's eye. It wasn't a tiger's eye. I forget exactly what it was. It wasn't a jasper, but it did have some of those fiery kind of turquoise colors mixed in. Okay. And I know it wasn't jasper because I was talking to him about how I've been using my jasper lately, and he pulls up this app, the stone app, I think it's called Stones, and it's the crystal app, and of course the first one that's on his screen is the Jasper one, and we're both like, okay, oh, duh. Shook. Yeah. And we sit there, this was two weeks in a row, and just having these amazing conversations about kind of what our journey is right now. And for somebody who was new to the game, Homeboy knew a lot, yeah. like a lot, a lot. And he said he's been spending hundreds of dollars on Amazon Prime ordering these <laughs> spiritual books. And one of them that he said was the mastery of love. And I wrote it down, and he said, that is my Bible. That's what I have to go for. And, of course, I told him, well, you need to check out Journey of Souls. That's my Bible. Of course. Right. That's always. And then the alchemist. And Mm. so we both gave ourselves those tips. And so I went to Barnes & Noble, and I got this book, Mastery of Love. And I was just shaken up, like tossed around in a blender, pulsed, (laughs) pureed, chopped up, mixed, minced, all of the above. You were just feeling like a trash bag in the wind on the side of the road? Yep. (laughs) Drifting through the wind, wanting to start again. Do you ever feel like a trash bag? (laughs) All the the damn time. (laughs) Do you ever just feel like trash? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh, that was what I asked my students this morning. <laughs> That's what I asked myself in my journal this morning. <laughs> and so, anyways, ooh, my Fort Worth is coming out. <laughs> my Fort Worth roots. Oh my and God. I'm not talking about these black roots showing through my blonde highlights. I can't. 
And y'all, I don't have blonde highlights. I know, but if you were from Fort Worth, you would. I know, I would. Well, technically, my roots are blonde. That's another story for another day. No, oh, that's true. I'm a natural born blonde. Oh <laughs> but anyways, back to my point. <laughs> back to my point. This book, I need to get out of the country. You are real. I know. You sounded like actually authentically Southern. This book. This here book. <laughs> you sounded like actual Louisiana royalty for a second. Like, I love that when we talk about Louisiana, you're Louisiana Bayou and I'm Louisiana royalty. Well, I'm obviously trash. What we, we were, what were we just saying? We were just saying. <laughs> what I picture is in the New Orleans Mardi Gras parade. I'm on the nice float that has glitter and I'm waving with a glove on my hand that has pearls. And you're the girl <laughs> on the corner taking out the trash outside <laughs> of the local cafe. <laughs> well, we've always known that to be true. Well, we have. But sometimes <laughs> sometimes we switch roles. Sometimes, but, but usually not, not. No, but I'm not usually always. on the bayou. Yeah. Yeah, well. Well, you know. It's a simple life I lead. <laughs> you know, and a beautiful one at that. <laughs> oh, thank you. So while you're taking out the trash and I'm waving to everybody <laughs> with my rhinestone hand, I'm thinking about this book. And The Mastery of Love was very interesting because it is written by a native Spanish speaker. And so the translation in English, you can tell, is not oh. perfect in some ways. Because there are just some words that do not translate from language to language. Gotcha. But what I got from it is what I needed, which is some very simple ideas about how the root of most romantic relationships is fear. Mm -hmm. And in the other part, if you can guarantee anything, is that you're waiting for your partner to change, which is what the perfect relationship in hell looks like. Oh, I... Oh. Is expectation, longing, and not doing your own shit, but really basing your own life on somebody else's ability to change and be the person that you need them to be. Raise your hand in this room if you've wanted someone to change. Honey, how many <laughs> hands can I raise? <laughs> right, where's Lillian? She needs to raise a paw. All four of her paws. Well, yeah, <laughs> poor thing. But no, it's so true. I mean, we go into these relationships really optimistic. I think that's natural, right? Mm -hmm. We go into relationships optimistic because we want them to work because why would we expel the energy? Yeah. Right? And so we have all of these expectations before we really even start. Yeah. And that's where we, you know, that's where we mess up is that very, very beginning where we expect all of these things from somebody where we don't know if they're going to be able to deliver those expectations. Um, and I think that's for most relationships, not just young folks, but for most relationships. I think so too. And each time, even though we feel like we learned our lesson from the person before, we really don't. No, we don't. And if we did, we wouldn't look past those very obvious glaring signs in the beginning. Right. And to a degree, it's not our fault. In therapy, I've learned that our unconscious sniffs out the people who fall into our same pattern. Mm -hmm. So the person that you strike up a conversation with in the bar or at the library or wherever you meet people who you know nothing about, but you two are looking at each other and then finally decide to go and talk to each other, you have no idea that that person has the same exact shit mm -hmm. to deal with that all of your exes previously did. Right. 
Or if it isn't the exact same scenario, the ways that you want them to change are still the same ways you wanted your exes to change. Right. That's nothing that you could possibly predict. You have to find that out later. Mm-hmm. Which is a really inconvenient thing. It is. But that's the way it works. Right. Well, we've we've gone through this. Mm-hmm. I mean, multiple times. It's amazing when we look at the patterns of the people we've dated and the issues they've had. While the issue may not be the same, but like you said, it's just what lies behind it and how they got to that point yeah. and whatever that flaw looks like, it brings out that type of same emotion in you. And so however you're showing up to this issue, I mean, you're really the one, you're the kind of like the indicator, right? Yeah. So you're kind of like the, the, you know, the spectrum of, okay, so I'm feeling like this, whatever this negative emotion is, whether it's resentment or shame or guilt or whatever on the quantum love spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, Whatever we're feeling, I bet you you could go back in your past relationships and see the same exact pattern emerge Mm -hmm. based on an expectation that you had that was not met. Right. And that same pattern that probably goes back to your parents and siblings and all of the other things. Because we always know. We always know. (laughs) It's our parents. Mommy and daddy. (laughs) Shout out. (laughs) But (laughs) our number one fans. Uh Sorry, guys. Sorry about it. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Cherise, before we dive into some of the specific things mentioned in this book. Okay. You have a lot of people in your personal friend network who are partnered, Mm -hmm. either long-term partners or dating, or even some getting married or Mm. have been married. Mm -hmm. So you know a lot of people are in relationships. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like you see most often in these relationships or whenever you have vulnerable talks with your friends about what's going on in their relationships? Mm -hmm. What are the things that you hear the most? I'm so glad you said the word vulnerable because that's a part of my answer Mm. is that my friends can have vulnerable conversations with me and they're always about the flaws in their partner, but they cannot have these vulnerable conversations with their partner. Ooh. And I'm saying vulnerable that is authentic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the waterworks. I mean, sure, tears can be involved, but not simply the waterworks of, oh my gosh, he finally opened up. Mm. No, but did he? Or did he just tell you what you needed to hear? Right. Right. And so it's that lack of authentic vulnerability in communication. That is what I see across the board. Because the the... The issues are always the same in some way. Well, you know, there's a problem in a relationship and it's because he doesn't do this or she doesn't do that and blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, have you told them? Have you told them? And why do you want them to do this? Where mm-hmm. does that expectation come from? Or why do they want you to do something? Maybe that's right. where some, I mean, it could be flipped. Why are they feeling that there's something inadequate in your relationship? And it's just, I don't know. I don't know. Well, find out, people. <laughs> Have that conversation with your loved one. I mean, that's so easy. And that's the only way you're going to get to the root of issues. Because if you don't have that vulnerability, that true, honest vulnerability, it's going to spiral. It is. And then it's going to turn into resentment. And then it's going to turn into all the things. Guilt on your end for not being able to fix it. And shame on their end for feeling like the lost puppy who can't be trained. And it's just a mess. If we were only able to have those vulnerable conversations to start, all of these things would at least be on the mend. They would. And what I think people are doing when they're dodging those conversations, what's lying at the root of all of that is the fear that their partner wants them to be something different, Mm. that they won't be able to stack up. What will happen when they find me out? Mm. What will happen when I am exposed? Or what happens when I'm honest enough to realize that what I want is something that they cannot give me? 
And when you get to that place that people avoid because they know that they'll have to do something about that. And I'm not talking about breakups, but I'm talking about how you can still have expectations and standards that don't make somebody have to fundamentally change who they are. Mm -hmm. Because in any partnership, you know that you're going to have to do things for each other that if they're not non-negotiables is still going to benefit the other person. Right. Because you know that that's what they need. Right. If there are fundamental incongruencies between what they are willing to do and what you need, then obviously that's a different conversation. Right. But the idea of fear being at the root of all of that, which even for couples who've been married for so long. Oh, it's very common. Yeah. This is a very common thing, especially in married couples, especially in young married couples, because they are unwilling to have the real conversation. Yeah. And wondering what happens if that conversation isn't happening. Are they going to find somebody else who can have those conversations with them? Mm. Are they going to find somebody else to have sex with? Are they going to find somebody else who actually checks more of their boxes, meets more of their criteria? Right. I am, I've been somebody who's been very guilty of self-sabotaging myself and believing that every moment that I haven't been with anybody I've dated, they were talking with somebody else. They were, you know, not necessarily like secretly whatever, but were they still entertaining the idea? And that's all on me. That's all, that's like sure. many of my own patterns. But when we let fear take front seat, that really can turn into a variety of things, but especially us already having the doubt in our mind that something here is wrong. Mm. And that doubt starts as a little seedling, and all of a sudden, you got a 200-year-old oak tree sprouting, Yeah, and you can't knock that shit down. <laughs> no, it's illegal. <laughs> um. <laughs> and there's probably a family of owls living inside I... <laughs> it. <laughs> so then you have animal destruction, probably a goddamn endangered species in We're there. We're an eco-feminist podcast, y'all. Pardon us. <laughs> Um, no, you're so right, Juan. And, you know, it makes me reflect just on my own relationship and the relationships I've had in the past and how my same patterns keep coming up. And it doesn't matter who I'm with. Mm -hmm. I know my patterns. Yeah. I know the big old oak tree that's growing. And granted, I don't want to ever kill an oak tree, but sometimes you have to challenge. Sometimes I have to challenge myself, which I did this week. And I had to really challenge myself to recognize that I was self-sabotaging. Um, self-sabotaging out of, without giving away too many details, because it's not the time right now. But I was completely self-sabotaging and not necessarily my relationship, but a potential adventure that we could have gone on together. And I was destroying it because that's what I do. Those are my patterns. Yeah. It's a need for control. It's a need to know what's going to happen next. Um, and so I become self-destructive, you know. But finally, I was able to actually say, oh, I was actually really able to honestly look at myself and say, oh, yeah, I do this. And maybe I should have that conversation now instead of waiting a year from now like I normally would and saying, why didn't you know that that was my problem? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so instead that night I went to Brent and said, hey, look, this is, this is my pattern. We need to talk about it. Yeah. And we had a great conversation about it. And is everything fixed? No, because you can't fix things overnight like that. You can't knock down the tree, right? But you can find ways to at least better the situation. And as long as you're constantly talking about it and acknowledging it and you're not pushing it aside, I think that's a step in the right direction. I think it absolutely is. And your thing is control. Ugh. And I think 
my thing is the other thing that if you're going to have some issue within relationships, it's either going to be control like you or it's going to be perfection like me. Mm. And my pattern throughout my life has been that in order to make, <laughs> in my mind, for me to be lovable, I have to be perfect. Oh. And that comes from all sorts of things. Being the child that never played sports, being the, like, my sister was more academically talented than me. And I was still smart, like, don't get me wrong, but the idea that I just slaved away on that journalism computer in high school, I was student council this, whatever that, and I needed to do good work. And I think I still make myself do excellent work because I like quality, but in relationships, I've made myself seem flawless in a way that my my partners have kind of treated me more as like a mentor. Right, right. Because they seem to think that I have all the answers when I don't. But in my mind, I need to make you believe that I do because I think that that's what makes me lovable. Mm. And what is really perplexing and unhealthy about that is that perfection isn't what anybody's looking for in a partner, but it also makes my partner believe that they in turn have to be perfect like me. Right. Or else they will no longer be desirable. Or Right, or else they're not good enough for you. Exactly. Mm. And so between both of these patterns, and I'm sure we could think of others, but at least in my own network, those are the two that most of my friends have dealt with. Mm-hmm. Again, fear, fear, fear fear-based and conditions. It's conditional love. And so let's throw in a little metaphor from the book. So he talks about in Mastery of Love a a really simple but profound metaphor of what an unconditional relationship looks like. And the example he gives is your relationship with your dog. For those of you who have dogs, if not, you can probably imagine what a dog owner's relationship with their dog would look like. He says, when you have a dog, especially because there's no verbal, well, there's verbal communication, but obviously not from the dog's end to you. There's no dialogue happening. (laughs) Right, exactly. All you really have to go off of in that relationship is how you treat each other. Right. And you're both going to fuck up a lot. Right. Right. Your dog's going to eat your underwear. Your dog <laughs> is going to chew up those new shoes that you bought, Charisse, when, when oh Clementine was a puppy. Oh, my God, my brand new Sperry's. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was so excited. They were like $90. Yes. And Clementine, I remember I was – I know this is a total tangent. But I remember I was in the shower, and I just I, – Clementine, what, we had her like a month. So she was like two years old at the time. And I remember I was in the shower, and I realized I left my closet door open. And I was like – Oh, shit. And wh- I ran out of the shower, and what did I find? Miss Clementine Christmas sitting on my bed, gnawing on my Sperry's. Destroyed, <laughs> y'all. Absolutely destroyed. And I was livid. I was absolutely I livid. I was like, I bought this dog. And, of course, at this point, I'm obsessed with her. Of course. Clementine I was obsessed with within the first 10 minutes. I went from fear to anxiety to, oh, my God, I have a dog, to, oh, my God, she's the best yep. within a 10-minute span. But I'm, I'm watching this girl gnaw on my shoe, and I just lost my shit. I was so upset. But then 10 minutes later, I was like, well, it was my fault because I left the goddamn door open, and she's a dog. <laughs> you know. Yep. So again, owning your flaws, <laughs> owning yep. the fact that I really should have closed that door, and she's grown out of that since. But it is that like unconditional, like, okay, you can, you can fuck up. You can get mad. Um, but 
at the end of the day, you're going to take care of that thing and you're going to love each other. Yeah. And then on her end, she probably didn't enjoy it when you yelled at her. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And she was still looking your face at the end of the night. Exactly. Right? Right. So it's the idea that you, there are no things that are intolerable in a relationship. Obviously people can fuck up and you have to talk about that. But the idea of expectation in that no matter what, at the end of the day, you're going to come back together because you love each other. Mm-hmm. And this metaphor was really striking to me because it made me realize that my relationship with Lillian, my dog, is the only unconditional love relationship I've ever had in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Where even when we fall short of expectations, it does not matter. Right. And she gets pissed off with me all the time, and she lets me know. Yeah. And still, she spoons with me at night whenever we go to bed. <laughs> well, I can, say, I can say the same for Clementine. I can say absolutely the same thing for Clementine and for Bruce, yeah. Brent's dog. It's, it's just that when I come home, it's the running to the door. It's the wagging of the tail. It's the letting them out the back door and just watching them run and then them knowing they will come into a warm home and have food and that I can snuggle the heck out of them at night. It's that same dynamic. Yeah. And it makes me think about, well, like, what would that even look like with a human being? <laughs> right. <laughs> because then once you add words into the mix, right. it changes a lot of things. Right. And by being a human, <laughs> there are expectations that follow that as well. And he continues to use animals as another metaphor whenever he says, in terms of the expectations we put on people, basically entering relationships knowing that we want people to change already. Mm-hmm. He says, if you want a cat, but you buy a dog, why the hell do you buy a dog? Right. 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 You can't train the dog to be a cat. Right. Yeah. Buy the goddamn cat. Right. And if there are no cats available, wait for a cat. Right. Because then the cat, or the dog rather, that you buy will forever feel burdened for it not being a cat. Mm. And... Who at me 10 times over <laughs> for probably the amount of boys that I've dated who felt like they had to go through Juan's training camp to be what he needed them to be. Well, maybe not at Cherise for this because I don't necessarily think that was a repetitive pattern for me, but I know a lot of people, I ain't going to call you out on it, but I know a lot of folks who are the, I'm going to save you. Hmm. Oh, yeah. you can at me on that one too, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Check off all the boxes. Maybe I was like that with a couple of my relationships, like back in like college era, because they were misguided and I thought I knew all my shit. So I was trying to fix them. But I know a lot of people that are not in their 20s, maybe not even their 30s, maybe they're a little bit older, who are dating and they date the same person, the person who needs to be fixed, the person who has a drug problem, the person who is an alcoholic, the person who is never going to have a steady job. Oh, but I I will fix them, right? I am there. And even if consciously they're not saying that, everything in their actions are saying, I'm dating the same person over and over again because I need to be the fixer. Right. Because that's my role in a relationship. Right. Wrong, not healthy, not okay. It's the same thing like you said with the mentor-mentee relationship. Same thing with a teacher-student relationship or a parent-child type relationship. Can't tell you how many guys I've dated where I felt like the goddamn parent. Yeah. Okay? And and one relationship where I felt like a child. Mm-hmm. Right? And the flip side of that is not fun either. Ooh, it is not. It's not. And people think that they're trying to help, save, improve, whatever. 
the other person for their own sake. But no, it's all about their own selfish desire. Of course. You're not doing it because of your genuine love for the other person. You're doing it so they can finally be the person you need them to be. Right. Um, which that alone shows that they're not the one. Mm-hmm. If there's even a doubt. Mm-hmm. And... It, it also makes me think of like the people who we attract, which we talk about this a lot, the law of attraction. But something I love that this book said is that you are what you think you are. And that means that you're attracting people like you, like who you think you are. Mm-hmm. So if you believe that you need to be changed, that you need work, then you're also going to attract people that way. And instead of trying to fix the hell out of them, mm. honey, mm. fix the hell out of yourself. Oh my God, you are preaching to the goddamn choir. Seriously, I'm like going through my own timeline right now. And I know this isn't the Cherie show, but I really am going through my timeline thinking that the times when I was the most insecure and the most fragile, just emotionally fragile, that was when I attracted the most fucked up individuals. Yeah. But it was finally when I was at the best place I ever could have been with my body and really at peace with myself was when I attracted Brent. Mm. Somebody who was also very much so at peace with who he is. And that was the first time I ever went into a date thinking, wow, he's actually got his shit together. Well, that's because I had my shit together. Right. So you were so, so right with that. Right. And a little bit more self-reflection will get you to that place of, like, for me, it was whenever I didn't realize how I had anything in common with these fuck boys, so I thought, even my most recent relationship, you're going to like this, Cherise. (laughs) So my critique of my most recent relationship was this person was emotionally unavailable. They were only willing to engage sexually with people who they did not have any sort of personal relationship with. So the relationship could be a good friendship, or basically anybody that they could love in an emotional sense, Mm. they couldn't actually engage physically with. Mm. And I said, ooh, that is so fucked up. (laughs) And then I journaled. (laughs) And then I journaled. And then (laughs) I wrote, wait a minute, that is me too. Mm. If I actually look back and plot my sexual history in relation to the people who I've dated, they are not congruent. Wow. So there we were. And I was thinking that this was his problem. Wow, I'm shook right now. Yeah. Imagine figuring that out at 1 a.m. <laughs> on a Tuesday. Well, fuck, I ain't going to sleep. Journaling by goddamn <laughs> candlelight. Wow. And so you begin to realize that... In this need for the expectation, I was not meeting my own. Right. Of myself. Right. And no wonder. No wonder. No, of course not. Of course not. Well, so then that begs the question, how do we get out of this vicious cycle? Well, I think step one is knowing that you're fucking up. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because that's usually a step that we never acknowledge. Right. Yeah. And knowing that as fun and relieving as it is to talk shit about these exes... If it went wrong and you're not asking yourself what you did, nobody is the only victim in this. Right. And beyond that, I'm thinking, and I've not been in contact with any of my exes, but I did a lot of apologizing in my journal to them. Really? Saying, you know what? I'm sorry. I bet that felt like shit when I made you feel inadequate all of those times. Yeah. Because you knew that I thought you weren't cutting it for me. Right. 
Wow. And that must feel shitty because I knew how that felt from them too. Yeah. We were doing it to each other. And that's the other metaphor he uses. He opens the book by saying, imagine the society in which everybody is bruised on their skin. So on, a, on like an actual surface level, right? Okay. So you're just covered with bruises. Okay. And anytime you engage in a relationship, it is literally just you poking each other's bruises. What? Like it is actually you digging in, infecting the bruise. And, and we know that those bruises should be healing left on their own. Yeah. But instead, anytime we attempt to connect, all we know how to do is just punch at those bruises. Oh my God, that is awful. It is awful. And that's what hell is made of, is everybody just punching each other's bruises. Oh my God, I'm going to have nightmares tonight. Yeah. Wow. And so the, the metaphor, how it becomes literal, is that we don't show those wounds on our skin usually. Right. But inside, that's what we're doing all day long. But I think the difference is, is that we could physically see a bruise manifesting and becoming worse. Whereas sometimes we're not always intuitive enough to identify when someone's internal bruises are becoming worse mm-hmm. until sometimes it's too late and, and the resentment has already built, you know, going back to the quantum love, you know, diagram here by that point, it's just all ego. Yeah. It's all ego. Just trying to preserve ego. And what happens if you don't even realize that you're bruised? You're a narcissist. Right. Well, or you're just like, or you are so pained. That's, yeah. You're just in so much pain. Right. Yeah. You know who I'm thinking of. Yeah, I do. And I think back on that relationship, probably not as often as I used to, Mm -hmm. which is good because that means I'm healing from it. Yeah. But several years ago, and I've talked about this relationship before, but I dated a narcissist. And I blamed and blamed and blamed him for everything, for everything. Because that was the relationship where I felt like the child. And I felt like he was just constantly trying to school me on everything. And finally, when I got out of the relationship, I just blamed him for everything and everything, everything, everything. And by the end of our relationship, really at the beginning of our, our relationship, we were always in the ego frequency, right? So on the, on the quantum love diagram we have everything going on from the ego frequency which is the shame humiliation and all of that fun stuff and then you can move into the home frequency which is bliss and enlightenment and all of those great things well we never got out of ego I mean first date it was just like woof this I mean I even remember going home thinking oh god he is so into himself but I still kept going with the relationship because, oh, shocking. That was at the peak of my egocentric phase Mm. of needing to be praised, of needing to be loved, of needing all of those affirmations for my ego. But I think back and that's the same deal. I think back on that relationship and I blamed him for all of it, but wow, did I poke some fucking bruises y'all Yeah, because I knew how I was just resenting him our entire relationship. I knew how to just make him mad. I knew how to hurt his ego and I did it. Yeah. And I did it because I was so mad at him for doing the same. Well, and that's a great example of showing how when you poke so many bruises over and over again, it just turns into numbness. And I love this passage from the book. I posted this on Instagram last week, and it seemed to strike a chord with a few people, um, talking about the perfect relationship in hell. I know. Each time I have the visualization. (laughs) No. Well, every it, time you say it. I know. It's very graphic, but I'm like, no, that's what it feels that's like. That's actually what it is. Yes. So he writes, if you observe self-destructive people, you will see they attract people just like them. 
What do we do if we don't like ourselves? We try to get numb with alcohol to forget our suffering. Mm. That's the excuse we use. Where are we going to get alcohol? We go to a bar to drink, and guess who's going to be there? People just like us who try to avoid themselves also, who also try to get numb. We get numb together. We start talking about our suffering, and we understand each other very well. We even start to enjoy it. We understand each other perfectly because we vibrate in the same frequency. We are both being self-destructive. Then I hurt you, you hurt me. A perfect relationship in hell. Uh. <laughs> I just got chills again. God damn it. Oh my gosh. This is just such a depressing goddamn topic before Valentine's Day. Your favorite holiday. Your second favorite holiday. Well, that's when we throw a little Halloween in there. Yeah. <laughs> throw a couple masks in there. It'll be all right. Oh my gosh. Well, we know how I feel about Valentine's Day. We know that it is my least Favorites. From Miss Goddamn Levine. How do you remember Miss Levine's name? You know I remember everything. <laughs> you remember teachers' names. I do remember teachers' names. That's your special talent. That's true. <laughs> that is. Well, one of my special talents. Yeah, I know, girl. <laughs> I know. Miss Levine, second grade, y'all. Freaking scarred me for life with Valentine's Day. I never partook in another Valentine's Day activity ever in my life after that. Oh, my God. What a quitter I am. Well, for the full story, y'all should go back to last year's Valentine's Day episode. Exactly. You need to go back. And go hear some more. But probably Miss Levine sitting there at the bar trying to drink her sorrows away. Oh, for sure. There's no question. She was a miserable woman. If a second grader can recognize the misery in their teacher, you're fucked. Yeah. Like, that's a, that's a big problem. That is a big problem. <laughs> Well, and do you think, when I'm thinking about all of these lonely people at the bar, which that's not a metaphor. I've walked into bars and seen all of those lonely people sitting there looking for love in all the wrong places, and I've been one of them. I was going to say, you've seen me. We've okay. sat there together. We've sat there lonely together in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> in Dallas, Texas, in Fort Myers when we went to the rooftop bar. I was thinking about that today. Were oh, my you? God, how weird you just brought that I up. I haven't thought about that in so long. No, I think about that all the – well, maybe not all the time, but whenever we talk about our flaws and whenever we're ta- having conversations about how do we better ourselves in relationships, I think about that night yeah. when we were on the rooftop bar in Fort Myers because that was at our loneliest. It was. We were so depressed during that time, and we weren't living together. We were – cities apart mm-hmm. but when we met up at that bar oh my gosh I just remember being so desperate for like even like just with you visiting I was like oh my gosh I, I'm just so relieved to have another human, human soul to talk to yeah yeah a person with me yeah and I just remember sitting at that bar and having those cute guys near us and I, and I remember you saying and this is the this is the memory I have I remember you saying oh no I don't even you, remember you were like I'm going to be so mad at you if you don't get that guy's number. So I was like, shit, that's a lot of pressure. Now my only living friend on living this, on this earth, in my heart, my only oh, friend on this earth right now just told me that he's going to hate me if I don't get this guy's number, which I didn't because I was so, so painfully insecure. Yeah. It was such a bad time. But you talked to him though. I did talk to For him. For a while. I did, but it was about everything shallow on this earth. I mean, it was about, yeah. another, because we were sitting at a sports bar one, I mean, right. What am I going to talk about? I don't even like sports. Right. Ugh, the poor guy. He was like, what the hell is this? But I, w- but I was doing the same thing because I was clearly so displaced. Well, and the, we were both desperate as fuck. We really And desperate were. attracts desperate. Exactly. So clearly that guy and I were not meant to connect because no. it was not the time. No. And if I could just go back and do my 20s over again. Oh. 
<laughs> I would have spent so much more time in libraries than bars. So much more time in coffee shops than bars. Absolutely. And I don't even drink anymore. And I'm thinking, what the hell? The culture, I think, of going out to find love. Ooh, this is going to be a rant. Buckle up, y'all. I feel it. I feel like I just got some sugar and flame in my arthritis. I feel, I feel, you know what I, what I described it as to my dad? Because I accidentally ate like a lot of sugar whenever I was visiting my dad. I didn't realize the amount of sugar in this thing that I ate. Mm. And it felt like somebody just poured a tub of glitter down my throat. And I could feel it sparkling inside my body everywhere. It's kind of beautiful to think about, but also awful. Yeah, the image is beautiful, but but it was painful. Yeah, but the feeling. Yeah, like my body knew it was fucked up and it happened immediately. So anyways, so I'm, I'm thinking about all of these people who spend their 20s going into bars, getting trashed, so they can heighten their vulnerability. Exactly. And, and being so disappointed if they leave at the end of the night, if they haven't found love. Mm. The number of times that I went home at two in the morning and was just feeling self-loathing and embarrassed and shameful and humiliated mm-hmm. at how much time and money I spent. You know, the fact that I was there with my friends, but none of us were there together. Right. We were physically there, but we were all looking for somebody else. Exactly. And even just me thinking every time that nobody came up to me in a bar and didn't want to hook up with me, then I was therefore just so unlovable. But what message was I sending? Exactly. Saying, fucking easy piece of ass over here. All you need to do is look at me and take me home. That's not even the person that I am. That's not, exactly. I was just going to say, that's not even who you are, but that's what our culture has set up for us, that that's how you meet people. Right. And especially in your 20s with Tinder being such an interesting thing that works for some people, but then sometimes it can be just so mortifying the way that we can so easily reject people and block people and just make them go away. And then what that says about us. And I'm just baffled by all of it. But if I could go back and do my 20s again, I think I would I would tell myself that the more work that I did on myself is how I would find people. Exactly. And that's where I am right now. My 20s aren't over yet. But I've been single for a long damn time now. And my therapist recently told me that it's because I've been programmed to be single. I haven't had any emotional dependence on anybody my entire life because not a single goddamn person in my life has adequately been able to emotionally care for me. And so I've mastered, which he also says in this book, you have mastered your identity as you just keep going and going through life. Who you say that you are, you become an expert at being that. Mm. And so if that is something... That whether it's good or bad, if you know that that is your brand, you really start owning that. It's like RuPaul says, we're all born naked and the rest is drag. We are all playing the character of what I decided is to be Juan. And so if I decide that what it is to be Juan is to be independent and heartbroken and better than all these fuckboys that I broke up with, then that's who I'm going to be. Wow. And that's not who I want to be. Right. Whoa. I feel like I immediately need to go home and journal. (laughs) Whenever, whenever we have a conversation like this of like self-reflection at all, I'm like, God damn, I need to do some major self-reflecting. Well, and the beauty of it is I feel like with both of us, which we're always on the same goddamn spiritual page. I don't know how. I don't know how. (laughs) Y'all, I can't even tell you. This is my own little goddamn rant. I can't even tell you how many times either I've texted Juan or Juan has texted me with the same goddamn complaint that I have or he has. We are on the same frequency. 
all the time, like the same spiritual path. If mm-hmm. I'm struggling with one thing, he's also struggling with it. And then we come together and we realize that we've both been struggling with the same thing for a week. Right. It's so bizarre. Yeah, it, it's fucked up. But at this point, we're not even surprised. No, it's not a surprise. <laughs> but the way that I know that I'm growing and maturing is because I feel like maybe, maybe two years ago, even maybe as recently as last year, probably more like two years ago, when you and I would have conversations about our growth, we were still not taking the ownership. That's right. We weren't. And now when I'm journaling, I'm reading myself for filth. That's what it is. And that's how you know that you're ready to start changing and attracting things is when you turn that finger around. Right. You step out of victim mentality and you stop blaming everything else and you finally look at your own flaws, your Mm -hmm. own ability to impact other things in your life because it's your life. It is. And you have to surrender to that shit. I know. You have to surrender to the idea that you have even fooled yourself into being this person. I fooled myself this week. I fool myself every goddamn day. I fooled myself this afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag fooled yourself. (laughs) Hashtag gotcha. (laughs) No, it's so true. I mean, and we, and we are so good at tricking ourselves. We are so good at tricking ourselves into thinking that we are superior, Mm -hmm. that we are the best. And of course we say this, you and me, we say this all the time that, oh my gosh, we're so enlightened and oh, we get it and people don't and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, we still can call ourselves out on our shit and knowing yeah. that. And I say this, I've been saying this for years. I'm full of shit. Don't listen to me. Anytime I would give a cold psychic reading <laughs> because you know me and my cold psychic at readings. At any 4th of July barbecue in, in the, the back of a, In the back of a Tahoe. Taking jello shots. If someone wants me to contact their dead grandma, I will do it. Okay. But (laughs) true story, everybody. But, you know, it's like whenever I think about, whenever I think about calling myself out, I always think about whenever I would tell people, please don't take my word Mm -hmm. as God. Please don't take my word as all knowing. All I am doing is saying exactly what I know. And I know that I don't know everything. And admitting that is actually really freeing. Yeah. It really is. That's why I actually have really come to love the classes I've been teaching because it's all about critical thinking. And I always say, don't believe anything anyone ever tells you. That's what he says in this book too. Oh my God. He must have taught AP Lang. He must have. He said, (laughs) don't believe others and don't even believe your goddamn self. Don't even believe your goddamn self. And and then my kids get smart and they're like, you know, wait, are you saying not to believe you? I'm like, don't. Don't believe a single word I have ever said all year (laughs) long. Just remember the skills. Have the skills to question everything. Mm -hmm. Question yourself. And thank God I I practice what I preach now because I woke up that a couple mornings ago. I woke up with an insane emotion of anxiety and I knew it was a trick. Mm. I knew it. Before this, you know, maybe last year, like you said, or maybe two years ago, I would have blamed everything else for this anxiety. I would have blamed all the external things in my life for giving me this anxiety and I needed to listen to the signs. But instead I said, girl, I know you're trying to trick yourself. I know this is a test Uh, again and you're testing yourself. And I think I won. (laughs) I think I learned. (laughs) It takes time, but it happens. It takes a lot of time. Yeah, that reminds me of one of the the earliest things that I learned from Deepak. Shout out to Daniela, our resident Deepak expert. Mm. And this is not a direct quote, but paraphrasing. But the thing that you hate in others is the thing that you hate in yourself. Every time. And I've been realizing, I mean, oh my gosh, for somebody who preaches peace and kindness and love, 
I could walk down the street and judge every single person I see. I'm so glad you said that because I, we all know I'm the ultimate judger. So I think we all do. We all are. And, but let me tell you, okay, so I'm going to tell this quick anecdote and I'm sorry if I call people out on this, but I'm going to, because I think we are all guilty of this. I know I am for sure. Very, very, very guilty of this. Um, my boyfriend was talking about a conversation he was overhearing of some coworkers of his. And he was really kind of like down in the dumps about it. Cause he was just kind of like low energy. And he said, he's like, you know, there was a conversation that I heard and it really kind of bummed me out. I was like, well, what was the conversation about? And he said, well, it were these, it was these couple of female coworkers and they were talking about how they hate when people advertise their hobbies as businesses on social media. So, for example, somebody that wants to start a business in, say, a photography business or, say, a, a, I don't know, whatever people choose to do or an Etsy business or making jewelry or whatever the case. And these two women were saying how much they just hated when people did that online. Oh, my gosh, I can't stand when people do this online. I can't stand when people promote their hobbies as if that's what they want to do to be successful. And I'm over – and Brent and I are over here like – so, <laughs> let people do what they want to do. Right. If you want to, you know, if you want to start a blog about spirituality and eventually make a business out of it, I ain't going to judge you because I'm doing that damn thing. Right. If you want to start your photography business and get started through your Facebook page, girl, you start how you want to start. But it's that judgment and it's, and, and I mean, I know a little bit more about these folks than, you know, other people do, but I know that they also feel inadequate with their hobbies and their right. lives, that right. they love what they do in their spare time that has nothing to do with their jobs, but they don't make them into businesses. They, or maybe they have and they failed or they, I don't know, but I know this for a fact. Mm-hmm. And I said, we judge people based on our own insecurities, based on our own failures. And we just target them because we don't want others to be successful. Yeah. And because it brings up really uncomfortable emotions in us. And I know I am so guilty of being a bitch. I am so guilty of, especially growing up, you know, if somebody was wearing a really, I basically was Regina George. Mm. I Regina George everybody because I was so unhappy with my own choices. Yeah. It's like so fucked up, but we do this. We judge. Think about how that manifests and just eats at your soul. I know it ate at my soul. And it continues to whenever I stay in that ego place. Right. I actually have to force myself to say, Sharice, step outside of the ego. Step outside of the ego. Which honestly, side note, got rid of Instagram for a little bit off of my phone. And it has been enlightening. But that's a whole other topic. <laughs> well, in, in all of that, which I think is a great example of going back to the idea of fear. Exactly. And how exactly. fear is the repellent to love. And love is the gateway to happiness. Mm. And if these people, and all of us, including myself, were supportive of the things that other people were doing, because that meant that if we could love them for doing it, then we could love ourselves for doing it. Right. And not give ourselves so much shit. Right. That's how the awakening happens. Exactly. It's the support. It it's is. It's the supporting of one another, bringing people up, lifting people up, and it's so much easier said than done. It's so easy to post it as an Instagram post instead of actually doing it in your everyday life. Yeah. I feel that. Well, and to leave us with one last excerpt from this, the idea of awakening and and finally understanding these pieces about yourself that can help increase the amount of love in your life in any sort of way. Um, I love, he's just killing it with these metaphors, which Mm. I bet they're even better in the original language. 
Um, but he says, when you awake, you cross a line of no return and you never see the world in the same way. You are still dreaming because you cannot avoid dreaming because dreaming is the function of the mind. But the difference is that you know it's a dream. Knowing that, you can enjoy the dream or suffer the dream. That depends on you. The awakening is like being at a party where there are thousands of people and everyone is drunk except you. Ooh, that just fucked me up. (laughs) (laughs) You are the only sober person in the party. That is the awakening because the truth is that most humans see the world through their emotional wounds, through their emotional poison. They don't have the awareness that they are living in a dream of hell. They aren't aware that they are living in a dream, just as fish swimming in water are not aware that they are living in water. Oh my God, I know. When, when you sent that to me, that fucked me up good. That done <laughs> fucked me up good. It's so true. And we see this in our family members. We see this in our coworkers, in our friends, maybe even in our significant others. And that's where the change happens, right? Comes full circle. That's where we maybe are looking at their lens, and we're like, damn, why don't you just get it? Mm-hmm. And that's where the toxicity starts. Yeah. It's a choice to wake up. It is a choice to wake up. In a lot, I've been that sober person at the party before. Yeah. Everybody else thinks that I'm the one missing out. Uh, I know. And I'm looking at them doing stupid shit, and I'm feeling sorry for them. Yeah, exactly. And I've also been that drunk person at the party many a time. Of course. Oh, and, of course. And it also feels like shit. Yeah, it's never fun. You think it is because you have the camaraderie of everyone else who's drunk at the party. Right. But once they go away, everyone's really just in their own bubble. Exactly. Mm. It's a false sense of community is what it is. Oh, God. This just makes me want to go research tiny houses because I need a real (laughs) sense of community. (laughs) (laughs) Well, however you all choose to celebrate or not celebrate this season of love, Mm -hmm. good luck. (laughs) (laughs) And most importantly, just really do that self-work and really maybe take this time to, if you are in a relationship, look at your own relationship and and the role that you play because it all starts with self-love. Shout out to Kathy Garland for her self-love campaign that she's doing for the month of February, um, which I have been loving. I've been loving. Have you really been? I have. I have just been liking everything. Um, But just because it it all starts with yourself. It, it does. always does. So for Valentine's Day, yeah, go get your loved one some vegan chocolates and some flowers <laughs> that you are growing sustainably from your own backyard. But also do some self-work and recognize it all starts with you. And maybe in addition to those self-grown vegan strawberry chocolates, <laughs> maybe another good gift that you can give them is you focusing on your own shit. God, your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> My mouth to a chocolate-covered strawberry. <laughs> <laughs> More fitting for this conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see you next time, kitties. Sounds good. Bye. Bye.